0: It's Louisiana Considered. I'm Carl Lengel. On today's show, Art Spot Productions' Kathy Randles updates us on the road to Damascus. Up first, Mardi Gras may be over, but festival season has only just begun with St. Patrick's Day, French Quarter Fest, and Jazz Fest just around the corner. One painful challenge to all of these events is accessibility. You have to be physically able to go to parades, concerts, and balls, and it can be especially difficult for the elderly many of whom have physical limitations or disabilities. Thankfully, at St. Margaret's at Mercy Nursing Home, if you can't go to the Mardi Gras, they bring the Mardi Gras to you. Louisiana-considered's Alana Schreiber has the story.
1: On the Friday before Fat Tuesday, St. Margaret's at Mercy is decked out for a Mardi Gras ball. The nursing facility is complete with carnival balloons, king cake, and the residents are donning their best throws. For many of them, coming to this ball brings back childhood memories.
2: Oh yeah, I like Mardi Gras. My mother used to love Mardi Gras. She would come to the city and she would cook food for everybody. (laughs) All I remember is how much stuff I can get. (laughs) My heavens, it's so long ago I don't even hardly remember. I guess the parades and the king. Seeing all of the beautiful floats and people
1: enjoying being together, sharing Mardi Gras. That was Augustine Luba, Joyce Fashon, Audrey Flynn, and finally, Charlene Gazzoni-Chiapetta. But today, Charlene's not just any resident. She's also the queen of the ball. I am so happy, and this was such a surprise
2: to me. I tell you, I haven't been to parades since my children have grown up. But uh, we used to make all of the parades, every one of them.
1: But Charlene isn't alone at the royalty table. She's joined by Earl Phillips, a former musician and today's king.
2: Uh, it's awesome. It's beautiful. And, um, the queen is beautiful. and. Um, we are very good friends. I, I can't tell you how happy it made me to know that all of these
1: employees voted me as queen because I love all of them here. That's right. It was the employees of St. Margaret's who elected Charlene and Earl to today's throne. Towards the back of the crowd is Audrey Flynn, one of the newer residents. At age 101, she's the only one in sight not using a wheelchair.
2: You know, recently, I gave up working at City Hall. I worked for the mayor of New Orleans, so I saw a lot of Mardi Gras. And I live right on the parade road uptown, so I could just walk from my home to the parade.
1: Audrey is still adjusting to life at St. Margaret's. So for her, today's ball is a taste of something familiar.
2: It's a nice surprise for me. This is my first time here. And they said we were having a little Mardi Gras celebration, but I didn't think it would be as large as this. as much fun.
1: About an hour after the festivities begin, a Zulu king arrives to deliver throws. <laughs> One of the recipients of some new Zulu beads was Joyce Fashion. When I asked the New Orleans native about her favorite moments from Mardi Gras past, she had one memory that stuck out in particular.
2: Listening in for my great uncle in the band he was in, he'd tell us as kids, you listen for me now. I'm going to roll the drums for you.
1: <laughs> Joyce says she sort of gave up Mardi Gras as she got older. So today's ball reminds her of why she loved it as a kid.
2: I think everybody just forgets their burdens or their problems for a day, you know, and get out and enjoy themselves, you know.
1: And while the residents wave their new beads and finish their king cake, activities director Nicole Adams is beaming in the corner. Because for her, the best part of the ball is just watching.
3: Seeing the smiles on a resident's faces, watching them enjoy themselves and have a good time, it means a lot. They will tell you they enjoy it. It it's like home for them.
1: This is this is what home was. This is what they grew up with. This is what they, they know. Because for many of these residents who no longer live at their homes, Mardi Gras is home. But like most members of older generations, They've also got plenty of advice for young people on how to have a good time this carnival season. Don't get into trouble. Be careful. Watch where you're going.
2: Don't drink too much. That's it.
1: In New Orleans, I'm Alana Schreiber.
2: You
0: are listening to Louisiana Considered on WWNO and WRKF. I'm Carl Lengel. Louisiana-based Art Spot Productions was founded in 1995 and has produced dozens of original works of performance and collaborations by professional, emerging, student, and incarcerated artists for the benefit of local, national, and international audiences and has received national and local awards for its productions, including a Village Voice Obie Award. Kathy Randalls is the group's central creative force, although she is the first to tell you that all of the work is collaborative, built from the ground up with an astonishing array of contributors. One of those long-term associations has been with Asetua Amor Amencum and Louisiana Correctional Institute for Women, which engages incarcerated women in the drama club to tell their stories through monologues, dance, movement, and more. Randall's work with this group informs the latest production, The Road to Damascus, a new solo performance piece written and performed by Randall's. and It uses the story of Saul, or St. Paul's conversion experience, as described in Acts 9 of the New Testament, as a call for an awakening to the persecutorial nature of white supremacy in the USA. First of all, the source material. This story is based loosely on a religious parable, can you kind of inform us about that and how you came to that? Uh, came to the piece through that.
4: Well, some some of y'all know that my father was a Baptist preacher, and um, and my grandfather, my mother's father, was also a Baptist preacher. So I grew up in the church. I grew up in Lakeview Baptist Church to be specific, and so these stories from the Bible were, were my, my stories growing up. And, um, you know, I saw the pictures, we talked about them in Sunday school, we analyzed them, we acted them out. So, um, I guess when I, when I go to my own like personal mythology, that's, that the Christian stories and parables are the ones that are deepest in my DNA. Um, so this piece, there are so many layers to this piece, but I guess uh, um, the the notion of the road to Damascus um, kind of refers to a conversion experience. It's about um, Saul, who was a pretty major persecutor of Christians in the early years after after Christ's death. Saul was on the road to Damascus Uh, after having ordered the stoning of a prophet named Stephen. Uh, This story all takes place in the book of Acts. And um, while he's on the road to Damascus, he is blinded by a great light. And the light, there's a voice that comes through the light, and it says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And it's the voice of Jesus and uh, Saul is blinded for three days and three nights, and he is told to go into Damascus and to find a man named Ananias who will cure him of his blindness. Simultaneously, Ananias gets a call from Jesus saying, I'm sending Saul your way, and when he comes, I want you to heal him. And Saul has a reputation. Ananias is like, no, Lord, please don't make me do it. Don't send him here. He's going to kill me. But it all works out, and uh, Saul is in need when he meets with Ananias, and he's cured, and he does an about-face and becomes Christian, who then um, is one of the major uh, preachers of Christianity in the next phase of his life, and he starts churches all over the Middle East, and the majority of the letters in the New Testament after the Gospels are written by St. Paul. Um, Baptists don't refer to him as a saint, but Catholics do, and I know this is a Catholic town, so I gotta be respectful of my Catholic folks and refer to him as St. Paul. So that's just the biblical tale.
0: (laughs) There are, as you mentioned, several layers to this, and I thought one of the most interesting was Red Riding Hood.
4: So the subtitle or the parentheses is um, The Road to Damascus as told by grandmother to Little Red. In this piece, grandmother is an incarcerated woman, and she's been incarcerated for 50 years. She has a well that she has created of books and her experiences, and she draws from that well she's a bit of a she's a bit of a mystical figure, and she sees things beyond her her small cell, and she sees little red coming to visit her and so she tells little red the story of Saul on the road to Damascus, and Saul is the Saul of the Bible. And simultaneously, Grandmother's prison guard. And he is also the huntsman in the Little Red story. So things get all all mixed up. And I guess I would say I'm kind of playing with some of the multiverse films that have been out lately, Um, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Y'all ain't going to see that. (laughs) (laughs) But in terms of drawing on multiple references and multiple stories happening at the same time, there is some of that in this piece.
0: Everything that you've talked about comes through one person, you. Yes. Yes. Uh, Do you, I'm going to ask you this, just... (laughs) Am I a narcissist? (laughs) No, is it more, well, is it more work to perform a solo piece than an ensemble piece? Or are there just differences that don't don't make any
4: difference? Mm, That's so great. That's a great question. I think it's more difficult, but... There are a lot of differences, you know, and, and with a solo piece, you're only responsible for yourself and in an ensemble piece, you're responsible for as many, as many people and objects that you're sharing the stage with. So yeah, it's, I guess it's a different layer of responsibility, but I, I started my, um, professional performance career with solo, a a solo piece called Rage With and Without and I kind of thought I was I kind of grew up at at the time of uh, when Karen Finley was was very popular and a lot of the solo artists of the uh, late 80s early 90s and I thought that was going to be my path and then I met and fell in love with a theater company from Belgrade who was deep into ensemble theater work and kind of had a conversion experience there too (laughs) and did ensemble work for years so this is i guess a bit of a return for me i haven't made a solo performance since um 1996 when i did a piece called the end and back again my friend so this is it's exciting to me there is a practical reason in addition to a uh, thematic and formal reason for it, but the practical reason is that I'm, I'm really interested in touring this piece to churches throughout Louisiana as a, as a way to really bring up the conversation about the role the church has played in the creation of and perpetuation of our inequitable criminal legal system And it's the more people you have traveling, the more money is needed, the more challenging schedules get. So I really wanted to create something that I could move around with a small group of people and also be ready to move at a moment's notice. That's a big part of it as well. The other part about me playing all of the roles is is this notion that uh, we actually have all of these roles inside of us. We have at some point in our lives been a victim of some kind of harm. We have at some point in our lives been a perpetrator of some kind of harm. And we have at some point in our lives been a savior for ourselves or others. And So in examining this dynamic, having one person play all of the roles for me has been a way to really look at how, how do the, how do these different roles feel and fit in my own life? And I guess I'm also trying to encourage others to think about that. You know, a a big part for me of working with incarcerated and formerly incarcerated women all these years is erasing those lines that separate us. We, we are all human beings. And there's one of the women from the uh, performing ensemble of formerly incarcerated women that I work with, the graduates. Um, her name is Carrie Emerson, and she's based in Baton Rouge. And my favorite line she has ever said in a performance is, the only difference between me and you all in the audience is y'all never got caught. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that line because it's, it's so true. It's, you know, we, yeah. we as a society freeze incarcerated people with the worst thing that they ever did. And that is the most unchristian thing that I think we could do. I, I teach theater at the prison. We've got a program called the Louisiana Correctional Institute for Women Drama Club, or the LCIW Drama Club that I co-direct with Asetua Amoram and Kum. And we're a minority because the majority of the people, the volunteers who provide services to the women at that institution are churches, and they do amazing work there. But they tend to not question the system. They tend to think that the system is working well and that the people are the ones who are flawed and tend to come in with a with a bit of a white savior complex, and what what I have seen throughout my years of of working there is how that white savior complex has actually, whew, has has ha, has helped to perpetuate and create our racist system. Um, my church, along with some other churches, studied a book called White Too Long over the pandemic, and it was a pretty intense examination of. The role that white churches have played in upholding racism in all of our systems in this country, and for me, since I've spent about as many years in the prison system teaching as I, ha- as I have in the Baptist church growing up, and so for me, this is a way of really kind of marrying the knowledge that that I've that I've grown up in in these two very different realms.
0: And uh, you're partnering with, uh, and in partnering, uh, it's an association with a faith-based group here in New Orleans, a progressive uh, faith-based group. Can you tell us a little bit about that uh, association?
4: Yeah, I wanted to share that um, in addition to St. Charles Avenue Baptist Church being a partner, there's a, there's a new uh, center that has grown out of our church called the St. Charles Center for Faith and Action. And... Uh, and that center is is helping to sponsor this performance, and and they're an incredible group of people who are really kind of like, I, that, exactly what it says, the action part of of Christianity and faith, and and our focus with the center has really been around reimagining the criminal legal system. Uh, Caroline Durham is our is the executive director of that center, and she's doing amazing work. And Becky Merriweather, who's a member of our church, has also done an incredible amount of work to to develop and deepen conversations across sectors with churches, with DAs, with uh, folks like Troy Bechet and Jen Pagan with the Center of Restorative Approaches, with um, folks like uh, Sarita and Dolphinette over at Operation Restoration. There's a huge community of formerly incarcerated people and leaders of multiple nonprofits that are working on trying to bring justice to our criminal legal system from multiple angles. And so we're working together with Primarily impacted people on finding ways to reimagine the system that has caused so much harm, violence, and damage to our families in this state it has been. Um, it's been an honor to work with them.
0: We've talked about churches for a while here, so it seems very appropriate that you are performing this in a, a former church, the uh, New Maroney Theater, which has been redone.
4: Oh my goodness, yes. It's a beautiful space. Um, yeah, Julian Mutter has been working on this this space for years now. It's a desanctified Catholic church. It used to be the Annunciation Church on the corner of Mandeville and Moray, and, um, we, we first did this piece the last weekend in August of 2022. And several people came to see the piece that had gone to this church when they were younger. So that was kind of amazing experience to have folks for them, I think, and, and for me as well to, to, to meet folks who had, who had actually, you know, gone to church here. But it's, it's beautiful. Julian and his team have done an incredible job of renovating the space and, turning it into um, an amazing new performance venue in our city. There are sprung wood floors, so all my dancer friends, y'all are going to love this space. (laughs) And they're, they're getting the lighting together, and the sound is amazing. So, yeah, I feel really blessed.
0: Kathy, thank you so much for taking some time with us today.
4: Thank you so much, Carl, for inviting me.
0: Kathy Randalls of Art Spot Productions. A quick note, Kathy shared the complete list of contributors because she is adamant that even her solo work is the combination of a community effort. But time just didn't allow us to share that with you. I do assure you it's an impressive collection of committed people who continue to make live performance an integral piece in the cultural fabric of Louisiana's culture. Performances of The Road to Damascus take place March 3rd through the 5th at the new Maroney Theater in the St. Rock neighborhood. After these New Orleans performances, The Road to Damascus goes on tour, including a performance at the Red Shoes in Baton Rouge, Saturday, March 11th, with additional stops including Lafayette on March 18th, and in Manhattan March 31st through April 1st. For more information, you can visit Art Spot Productions' website at artspotproductions.org. You're listening to Louisiana Considered on WWNO and WRKF. I'm Carl Lengel. Kathy mentioned the new Maroney Theater. To let you know, it's a project led by one of WWNO's executive council, Julian Mutter. Julian joins us now to share just a quick update on the St. Rock neighborhood space. Julian, thanks for taking some time with us here. So what's going on with the space? How how has its development been?
3: Hey, Carl, thanks for, thanks for uh, reaching out to me. I really appreciate it. Well... The, uh, the the former Unification Church, now known as the New Maroney Theater, is uh, has been completely renovated and is to be a venue for not just weddings but also theater, uh, small orchestral groups, uh, quartets, ensembles, etc. We do plan on hosting a weekly uh, movie, a movie night, probably Tuesday nights that would be free and open to the public. We would select folks to curate the uh, program, got a sprung floor, so it's for dance as well. It can be ballet, can be uh, contemporary dance, just about anything. It's a community center in a way, though I don't want to call it or you know, term it as a community center, because it is a performance space.
0: It's not just the new Maroney Theater. There's more to that title. What is that title, and share that with us.
3: Well, you know, because it was the Old Annunciation Church, and uh We we renovated it after the Archdiocese um, sold it to me. And I decided to keep it as a place of uh, spirituality. So it is the Church of the Arts and Sciences. And so for that purpose, we will also be having religious uh, ceremonies there.
0: So Art Spot Productions piece is kind of a fitting subject for this particular theater.
3: It Uh. is indeed, Carl, because it is still a a place of higher worship as well as an event space.
0: Julian, it is always great to hear from you. So uh, good luck with this, and we'll check in again sometime in the future and see how things are going.
3: Thank you very much, Carl. It's very good to hear your voice.
0: Julian Mutter of the new Marini Theater. This has been Louisiana Considered. I'm Carl Lengel. Thanks to our guests today, Kathy Randles and Julian Mutter. Our managing producer is Alana Schreiber. Our digital editor is Caitlin Dumholz. Our engineers are Garrett Pittman, Aubrey Procell, and Thomas Walsh. You can listen to Louisiana Considered Monday through Friday at 12 noon and 7.30 in the evening. It's available on Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcasts. Major support for Louisiana Considered provided by Rouse's Markets, a Louisiana shopping experience with additional support from Southern Strategy Group.